He's always been faithful. Thank the Lord for it. Good to see you. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bible there, and encourage you to find that place, and we'll read the text here in just a moment. For those of you who are guests today, we're on Sunday mornings, most Sunday mornings, going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and studying together. And uh, it's, a, it's a good way to study the Bible. We don't always do that in our uh, services. Sometimes we'll have uh, sermons by subject or theme, sometimes maybe just a topic, but I like just taking a passage of Scripture and just going through it as God lays it out in His Word. And so um, let's stand together and we'll read. If you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of the Word of God. And just a reminder as we... Um, uh, pray today in just a moment for a couple of things. One, uh, Brother uh, Wagner mentioned his neighbor who passed away this morning, Phyllis Reed. Many people in our community will remember that name and know her. She passed away uh, this morning. And of course, uh, Sharon's aunt, Sharon Monasco's aunt, had her funeral yesterday. The funeral was held for her yesterday. And uh, we're pray for, praying for their family as well. Uh, Mark chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Where the Bible says, In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them come from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Immediately we think back, if you were here some weeks ago, when we were in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus then was feeding the 5,000 and he engaged the disciples in saying, how are we going to feed these people? And they said, we don't know. Here we are sometime later. We don't know exactly how long. A different crowd, a different place, large crowd, and the disciples are basically answering the same way. They saw no way to do this. How are we going to satisfy these men, verse 4 says, with bread here in the wilderness. The word wilderness, we think of wilderness like a wooded forest area, but in the Bible the word wilderness often means like a desert, a barren place, a place of solitude, a waste barren place. How are we going to feed these people here? Verse 5, and he asked them, he asked the disciples, how many loaves have ye? And they said seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they that took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. 
Isn't that amazing? It really happened, just like we read it. It's amazing. I want to speak on this subject today, feeding the 4,000, and let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word. What a mighty God you are. What a capable, powerful, compassionate God you are. And today we praise your holy name. We pray that as we go through the scripture together, that you'd help us to learn more about ourselves, more about you, more about your will. And I pray if there would be those in our midst today who seem to come to the place where there's really no help and no hope, that we'd see today that there's always hope in you. We thank you and praise you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you were to take this passage of Scripture as I've done in recent days and, and just study it and not only study the Scripture but study what other people say about the Scripture, you would find that there are these critics or skeptics that would claim there's only one, one miracle of feeding these large group of people and somehow the stories just got kind of convoluted. And uh, the, these people's opinion in my estimation are convoluted, but in either case, there, there were two separate incidents. As a matter of fact, if you look there in Mark chapter 8 and drop down to verse, uh, verse 19, it says, Jesus is talking to these people, and he says, when I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? They say unto him, 12. Verse 20, and when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said seven. So Jesus must have been confused too because he thought there was two, two separate incidents, one 5,000 people, one 4,000 people, actually 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So these two times are recorded in the scripture where Jesus fed these massive groups of people, multitudes of people, with only a, a meager amount of food. And what I want to do today is I want to kind of lay these two things, these two miracles side by side. And because there's some details that are very different about them, and there's some details that are strikingly similar. And so the first thing I want to do is just kind of contrast the feeding of the 5,000 with the feeding of the 4,000. And we're not going to turn back and forth, but for you, you may remember much of this from the message some weeks ago. But first of all, there are differences. For instance, they were recorded differently in the Bible. The feeding of the 5,000 was recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The feeding of the 4,000 were recorded in, just in Matthew and in Mark. Also, they occurred at different places. The feeding of the 5,000 happened in Galilee, near a place called Bethsaida. That's on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. The feeding of the 4,000 we're reading about here in Mark chapter 8 happened in Decapolis. We talked about Decapolis last week. This is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, very different places. Thirdly, they were different groups of people. The people on the western side of Galilee, these 5,000 people were primarily Jewish people, Israelites. Here in Decapolis, the 4,000 was primarily Gentile people, completely different people groups. By the way, just a reminder that God is no respecter of persons. God's love is for all people. May I say, fourthly, there are different circumstances. The feeding of the 5,000, they'd only been without food, the Bible says, for one day. 
but Jesus cared about them. Here we find, we just read it a moment ago, the feeding of the 4,000, they haven't eaten in three days. Not only are we have these differences, fifthly, the fifth difference is the resources they began with. The feeding of the 5,000 began with five loaves and two fishes. The beginning of the feeding of the 4,000 began with seven loaves, and the Bible says a few small fish. When you're feeding 4,000, I'm not sure if it, how many fish, how big or small the fish are. If you only got four of them, it's not going to go very far, but God can make it happen. Lastly, the difference was in the, in the leftovers. Feeding the 5,000, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Feeding the 4,000, there were seven baskets of leftovers. So we have these numerous differences in these two miracles, both performed by Jesus. But as I said earlier, there's also obvious similarities. And what I want to spend the majority of our time today is just emphasizing these similarities and do it for a purpose. You know, God does not always act or work in identical ways. Sometimes his works are unique and amazing, like Peter walking on the water. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing, but that's the only place in the Bible you find anything like that. Like the day that they had to pay their taxes and Jesus told Peter to go out and catch a fish, and in the mouth of the fish you'll find a coin, and that coin will pay our obligation. That didn't happen often, or about in the days of Elisha when the axe head swam, imagine that, the head of an axe floating on the top of the water, or Naaman when he had leprosy, a dreaded disease, and yet the prophet told him to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he would be healed of that dreaded disease. I'm talking about sometimes God acts in very unique, unusual ways. The star that guided the wise men to the place of Jesus' birth. A very unique and unusual miracle. God does work in unorthodox and dramatic ways. But often God works in familiar ways. As a matter of fact, thinking about this place where Jesus would be born and the guiding light that brought those wise men to find the child you know how they figured out exactly, precisely what village was? It was a very common way. It was declared through the scriptures. He will be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah. Very common way. How, and, and God often works that way. It was a very common thing that brought Joseph and Mary from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem where Jesus would be born according to the prophets. And what was it? Caesar Augustus made a declaration, a very common thing for an executive to do, that everyone would have to go to their original place, their family heritage, their native region, and there they would be. And it was that very common thing that brought them to the place to fulfill the scripture. The point I'm making is, often we recognize and think only of God working in these extraordinary ways, but sometimes God doesn't work in all those unique of ways. And it's those, those common, similar things that I want to focus on in Mark chapter 8, if you still have your Bible open there. Let's look at some of the similarities between the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. The first thing I want to notice is in verse 2, where Jesus said this, I have, cap I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and I have nothing to eat. 
Now there's something that's found in this passage, and I'm not going to turn to it, but almost identically it's referred to in the feeding of the 5,000. It all began with the compassion of Jesus, meeting the needs of people. Um, you know, compassion is a very interesting word. Uh, we, we understand the word pity. We understand the word sympathy. Uh, we understand the word grief. We understand the word concern. But compassion is a different word. Compassion has to do with something coming from deep within a person, a yearning, a, a pity, a sympathy that moves them to some kind of action. Jesus, both these incidences began with Jesus having compassion. Matter of fact, 17 times this word is used in the New Testament to describe a love and concern that moves a person uh, in a Godward, a Godward way. It's a divine character quality that's often referenced in the miracles of Jesus. It may not be as dramatic as feeding thousands of hungry people with a piece of bread, but it's the heart of God that cares for hurting people. As I said earlier, sometimes I think we make a lot out of the extraordinary, the unorthodox, the unusual, and tend to overlook the obvious. And the obvious thing in these, both of these miracles is this, that God really cares. You know, no matter how old and how often, how old we get, how often we hear it, it never gets old to me that God loves me. And God loves you today. He cares deeply about where you are. And no place is that love demonstrated greater than in the cross of Jesus Christ. What, what is it? What was it? that brought Jesus Christ to this earth. It certainly wasn't to invent a new holiday that we could celebrate once a year. It was his love for people, his concern about people. 1 John 3 says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. In both of these miracles, we see evidence of God's compassion. Jesus saw the people... He saw that they were hungry. He saw that they were hurting. And he did something because of it. And I just want to tell you today that whoever you are and wherever you're from and however long you've been seeking the Lord or what your history may be or your path is today, God cares about you. He loves you. Each and every one of us, he loves us. He has compassion for us. So the first similarity we see in these two passages is this compassion that Jesus has. There's a second thing I want to notice though that are similar in these two uh, texts. Look in Mark chapter 8 if you would in verse 1. It says, In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Here again, we see something similar, and that is this. Jesus included or involved the disciples in what he was about to do. Um, he, 
the same thing, and we're not going to turn it, Mark chapter 6, he said the same thing to the disciples. Here he actually discusses with the disciples how he's feeling in verse 1. If you want to use compassion as a feeling. He saw the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude. He's, he's including the disciples. He's involving them in what he's about to do. If you look down in verse 6, and our text there in Mark chapter 8 and verse 6, it says this, He took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave it to his disciples to set before them. And they, the disciples, did set them these pieces of bread before the people. He's involving his disciples. Now, that may not seem like something that matters much, but to take... Just think about this. God could have fed them any way he wanted to, right? I mean, he fed, he fed hundreds of thousands of his people every day wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He fed them every day without using anything, any human instrumentality. He just dropped the food right in front of them, right? The Bible called it manna. He didn't have to use these people to do this. As a matter of fact, knowing people the way I know people, including myself. I would be hesitant to, to, to put as much responsibility on them as Jesus did because I know we can drop the ball sometimes, right? We can be distracted. We might even eat the bread ourselves. Who knows what we might do? But Jesus involved these people. He could have, he could have chosen some other means but here's the way God works. Number one, he works from a, from a vantage point of compassion. He cares about people. And number two, in both these miracles, we see that he chose to use his servants in his work. And you see this numerous times in the Gospels. I mentioned earlier about, about this conversation that came up with Jesus about, about a tax burden, a responsibility uh, to pay taxes. And how could Jesus could have performed any miracle and brought that money in, right? Anything. You know what he did? He told, he told Peter to go fishing, to go catch a fish. And the first fish he pulled up, there's a coin in his mouth, just like Jesus said it would be. That's just the way Jesus, he uses people. God uses people. Sometimes we, we have this idea that God is going to get his work done whether we get involved or not. But the truth of the matter is God gets his work done through people. That's how God works. Um, when Jesus was about to make his final entry into Jerusalem, where he will be hailed as the king, but eventually he'll be crucified. And, and he's going to enter, according to the prophecy of the Old Testament, he's going to enter on a donkey. And where's he going to get the donkey? He could go get the donkey. He could call a donkey. He could come. I mean, God commanded all these animals to get on the ark. Surely he could have had a donkey come to him. But you know what he did? He told his disciples, I want you to go into, I want you to go into this village and you're going to find a donkey that's tied up. You loose the donkey. And that, you know, the point is God uses people. He uses people. We heard this morning in Sunday school about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And how Jesus made himself known to him on the road to Damascus. But then after he got saved, he said to Jesus, God said to this man named Ananias, I want you to go into, 
uh, Damascus. You're going to find Saul of Tarsus there. God uses people. That's the way, that's the way God works. When the disciples, Jesus told the disciples before the crucifixion, we're going to have the Passover, and they didn't even have a place to live. They, they were homeless. And they said, where are we going to observe the Passover? And he said, I want you to go into town. You're going to find a man carrying a pitcher. Just follow the man carrying the pitcher. And he's going to take you to the place. And he's already got the place prepared. Now, the point is what? God uses people. And here, this is not unusual for God to use people here in Mark chapter 8. That's the, that's the similarity. That's the way God works. Some time ago on a Wednesday night, or I think it was a Wednesday, uh, yeah, Wednesday night, we were talking about uh, in Acts chapter 8 about that conversion of that man from Ethiopia, from Africa, that had been visiting Jerusalem. And how did God bring the truth to him? He said to a man by the name of Philip, I want you to go out in the desert. You're going to find a man in a chariot. This is what I'd like for you to do. Now listen, if that's the way God works, not in the extreme, unusual, extraordinary, unorthodox, that's the way he works commonly, then we ought to recognize that God wants to work through us. God uses people. And not only does He use people, but we see in both of these passages in Mark 8 and Mark 6, when He fed the 4,000, He fed the 5,000, He not only used people, but He used people even though they demonstrated a lack of faith and confidence in what He was doing. You might sit here and think, well, God could never use me because I, I don't always have 100% pure faith. Well, join the crowd. None of us do. Notice what it says in verse 4 of Mark chapter 8, and the disciples answered him. When he said, I care about these people, I can't send them away, the disciples said, this is what you'd think they'd say. Lord, don't you remember? Just the other day, there was 5,000 people, and we didn't have anything to feed them. Remember what you did then? Let's just do that again. You'd think they would say that, right? Notice what it says. From whence can a man satisfies these men with bread here in the wilderness? I mean, they had been in this situation before. The first time they were there, they verbalized their unbelief, their doubting. And my question is, and I'm not asking it to criticize them, I'm asking it about us. Hadn't they learned something the first time they went through this? And you say, why do you make that personal application? Because back to the, the point is God uses people, but He doesn't use perfect people. He just uses people who are willing to be used. And God, God has chosen, God has chosen to use imperfect creatures in His great work. He doesn't have to do that. He fed Elijah sitting on a creek by sending a bird with food twice a day. Do you believe that happened? It happened. When he couldn't get his servant to cooperate, he had a donkey speak with a voice that this man could understand. God can do anything. But in the normal, in the, in the routine, in the, in the common way that God works, God works through imperfect people who are willing to let God work. He, he doesn't require that you be perfect. Don't use that as a cop-out. Say, God couldn't use me. 
He just wants us to be available. And he wants us to trust in him. So what are some, some common, similar things we see in these, these two miracles? Number one, we see that God is compassionate. And number two, we see that God involves his disciples. And God still uses his servants to do his work. Serving in local churches, you know, we've been emphasizing in the last uh, few weeks our commitment to world missions, getting the gospel around the world, taking the gospel to people and places that in many cases have never once heard the name of Jesus Christ. How's he going to get that message to them? Think with it, personally. How's he going to get that message to them? He's going to use people like us. It may seem commonplace, but that's the way God works. That's the way God works. A third thing, a similarity between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 is this, that Jesus started once again with what was available. In verse 5, after, after the disciples said, how are we going to find food in this wilderness? In verse 5, he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. He began with the seven loaves of bread. And the feeding of the 5,000, he didn't begin with nothing, and he didn't make it all at one time. He began with something. What did he begin with? The five loaves and the two fishes. It's the way God works. It's the way he does things. He uses his people, he acts because of compassion, and he starts with what is available. And you know what? The, the, the application to me is obvious. God wants to use us. And we may not think that we have it all together, so God can you, but God takes what we give him and God uses it. That's the way God works. I'm think, I think sometimes we're probably guilty of thinking, well, when I get to be like that person, when I know as much Bible as they know, you know, when I've, when I've got all my ducks in a row, then God could probably use me. That's not the way God works. And all the time we're waiting to perfect, and we ought to be growing, right? We ought to be growing, but God takes us where we are. He wants us to give him what we have. One of the greatest leaders of all time was Moses. And God used Moses in just an unprecedented way to lead hundreds of thousands of people through the wilderness. And when God first broke the news uh, to Moses that it's time to restart this dream of leading his people out of their bondage. By the way, they've been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They were crying out to God, and God heard their cry, and God's going to deliver them. And so God, through this burning bush experience, you remember that, where God spoke to Moses and says, I'm going to lead my people out, and you're going to be the leader. And he didn't believe he could do it. He questioned his ability. He questioned his oratory skills. I'm not really a great speaker. And God said to Moses something very profound. He said, what do you have in your hand? And he said, a rod, a staff. And he said, throw it down. And it became a serpent. And then he told him to pick it up. And the, the point of the story is, 
That's really all a shepherd has is his staff. But God used that staff as a signal, as a sign, of a, as a representation of God's great power. He just give me what you have. And that's what God wants us to do. Just put what we have in God's hand. In the days of Elijah, uh, you remember there was a great, a great famine, a great drought. And Elijah had gone before the king of Israel, Ahab, and said, it's not going to rain until I give the word. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. There, was, there wasn't water around. And so God said to Elijah, uh, I want you to go into Zarephath, a little village, and there's a widow woman there. And, I want that, and, I, and I've commanded that widow woman to sustain you. And so when he gets there, this woman is actually, she's down to her, the Bible says she has a handful of meal, a handful of meal in this crate, in this uh, barrel, and there's a little bit of oil left. And what she's about to do is she's going to take that meal and that oil and she's going to make a cake, and then she and her son are going to die. They're going to, this is our last, this is the final meal, the last supper. We're going to eat this and we're going to die. And so Elijah said to this woman, I want, you, I want you to follow your plan. Take the cake, or take the meal, take the oil, bake a little cake, but I want you to give me the first cake. And then I want you to make one for yourself and make one for your son. That's all she had. That's all she had. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have anything to buy anything. That's all she had. But she gave all she had to God. And the Bible says that that barrel of meal and that oil did not, did not quit supplying during that entire famine. This is, the way, this is the way God works. It's a very common thing. It's not unusual. It's very common. God works with what is available. When people give God what they have, God begins to use it. That's what happened with the feeding of the 5,000. That's what happened with the feeding of the... What they had was meager. Could you imagine you ladies who stress out about Thanksgiving dinner and making sure there's enough for all the people who come? If there were 5,000 men and women and children and all you've got is five fish and a couple of pieces of bread, or five pieces of bread and a couple of fish, what, what would you do? But you know what they did? They gave it to God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, nothing really hard to understand about that. Not, the hard part is just doing it. Just give what you have to God. So, similarities between these two stories. Number one, His compassion. God is a caring God. Number two, he involved people. He could have done it without them, but he used them. Imperfect people. The, number three, he started with what was available. And the last thing we notice is, I'll just mention it briefly because it's so obvious, and that is there's nothing that God cannot do. God's unlimited power. Often we think about God could never do this. God could never, God could never use me. 
God could never save my loved one. God could never change this person's life. But there's no life that God cannot change. There is no need that God cannot meet. There's no sin that God cannot forgive. There's nothing that God cannot do. And this is just common, simple, ordinary, routine, the way God works. You know, when I was thinking about this passage in Mark chapter 8 in the feeding of the 4,000, I was just thinking about how sometimes we have this tendency to always want something to be bigger and better and more extraordinary, something different, something new. And I'm not against bigger, I'm not against something new, but I'm telling you, God just works sometimes in very familiar, common ways. It, by the way, it doesn't have to be new to be wonderful. I think about just this morning's worship service and thinking about God's love and wondering, does it ever get old to us? Does it ever become just routine? Does it ever just sort of seem like old hat? Well, yeah, God loves us, but what's the big deal? But I'm telling you, it can't happen. It does happen. There was this woman right before Jesus went to the cross, there was a woman with this alabaster box of ointment. And she brought it in, and she was a woman that was a, had a reputation of being a, a notable sinner. And she broke that alabaster box of ointment, the aroma filled the room, the fragrance. And she just poured it out on Jesus, just such love. Wiping his feet with her tears. I mean, that's an amazing scene if you try to think about what was going on. But some of the people in the room were disciples of Jesus. And they took issue with it. They didn't understand what was going on. They were actually critical. Such a waste. That was the language. They Such a waste. We could have taken that money and given it to the poor. But I, what it tells me is maybe they had somehow gotten over the amazement of the fact that God loved them. She hadn't gotten over it. She hadn't gotten over it. I was thinking as we were singing the first song today, the most familiar song in our hymn book, and the most familiar song among Christians in the world, Amazing Grace. And I thought, I wonder how often we sing Amazing Grace. But it's really not all that amazing anymore. It's just become so much a part of the way we are. When I think about these miracles of feeding the 5,000 and feeding the 4,000, I don't want to just focus on how extraordinary, how unusual, but also focus on the things that happen there that happen in our lives every day of our life. That God cares about us. That the same compassion that motivated Jesus to help those people motivates Him to help us. And that God still uses people even people who are flawed and people who are imperfect, God uses people. And what God wants us to do is just give Him what we have. The greatest decision that I ever made after I got saved was a day when I was Sunday morning service. I was a house painter trying to put our life back together, but we'd gotten saved. We didn't know much Bible. 
I never had an idea that I'd ever be a pastor. But on that Sunday morning, as a response to a simple sermon that my pastor preached, I said, God, I want to give you my life. I don't know where that'll end up, what that means, but I want you to have my life. And God, I meant that. I didn't have much to give him. I didn't have hardly anything. Matter of fact, our house had just recently been flooded. Both our cars were underwater. We had had, it was a, it's not like we had anything to give him. But I had one thing to give him. I had my life. And I just gave him my life. If you could ever use this life. I'm just telling you, the best thing you can do with your life is just give it to God. No strings attached. Just give it to God. When I read this story, I'm amazed at what God did by feeding all these people. But I'm also amazed at His love and compassion. I'm amazed at how He would use, choose to use imperfect people. I'm amazed at what He can do when we'll just take what little we have and put it in His hands. God can do anything. Amen? God can do anything. If you're here today and you're not saved, only God can save you. Religion can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Doing good works can't save you. Only God can save you, but He can save you. And He wants to save you. Right? But you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're trying to figure out how do, how do I make this work? I mean, I've got a, I, it seems like I've, I've got a long way to go to get where God wants me to just put, it, just put it in God's hand and let God start using you and working in your life. That's how it works.